Hello, and welcome to Big Fish in the Talent Pool with your host, Aaron Peterson, partner and global talent acquisition consultant with People Results. In each episode, Aaron interviews a corporate head of talent acquisition to shine a light on how they got there, what keeps them up at night, and their views on all the hot topics in TA today. There's nothing Erin is afraid to ask because she's been there. Now here's your host, Erin Peterson. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. You're going to love hearing from Todd Raphael, who is today with Eightfold, but he has spent the majority of his career in the whole talent acquisition, media, and conference zone, and he has a lot of really interesting perspectives on uh, where that's at today and where we're headed. We'll get to that in just a minute, but before that, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that our sponsor, ATAP, the Association of Talent Acquisition Professionals, is a really great partner, and if you don't already know who they are, have a look at them at atapglobal.org. They're really the first inclusive association to advance the talent acquisition professional on a truly global basis. They exist for the purpose of meeting the needs of professionals dedicated to finding, hiring, and retaining employees and organizations all across the globe. So have a look at them online. And oh, by the way, if you're not aware, TA Global Day is coming up. It's on Wednesday, September 2nd, and you can get more information on the ATAP Global website as well. In fact, you can go ahead and register to receive information about what's happening all around the globe to celebrate the profession of talent acquisition. And if especially you're part of a team, virtual or in person, this is a really fun way to just celebrate and bond over the fact that what we do is pretty life-changing and we hope important work. We hope it makes a big difference in the world. And sometimes we just need to join hands and make sure that we're giving each other, you know, the, the support and the kudos that we, uh, that we need to. So atapglobal.org, Global TA Day coming up on Wednesday, September 2nd. Check it out on their website. And now without further delay, let's hear from Todd Raphael of Eightfold. Enjoy. Hi, everyone. This is Erin Peterson. Welcome to episode 23 of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. We have a kind of a non-traditional big fish on the podcast today, Todd Raphael of Eightfold. And uh, I'll tell you why I wanted to have him on a couple of reasons. Actually, he and I have known each other for a number of years. I think, Todd, I first encountered you when I was at Hewitt leading recruiting globally. And I think I wrote an article for the Journal of Corporate Recruiting Leadership. Does that sound right to you? You That was part of your remit at the time, right? That sounds right. It was in paper, right? It was like a quarterly bound journal. I mean, talk about old school, but it was kind of a big deal. It was something everybody, at least I recall, was people read it and it was uh, a way to get everybody on the same page, or at least share good ideas in the area of talent acquisition innovation. But oh, how we have evolved. And actually, that is really what I want to talk about today, because I don't know of anyone in the talent acquisition community who is as knowledgeable or on the cutting edge as as Todd Raphael is. And you'll see why after we spend a little time together here. So welcome to the podcast, Todd. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So Quick summary of your career, uh, especially for my listeners who don't, they may know who you are, but they might not know all that's behind uh, what you've done in your career. And maybe start out, I'm going to start out by just 
kind of summarizing based on your LinkedIn profile, what it says that you have uh, focused on in your career, audience development, successful, profitable conference management, content management, successful, profitable content product launches, managing media professionals, managing content and multimedia, managing social media, particularly in the human resources, employment and recruitment market. So anybody who has been involved in ERE conferences, for example, in the past, if they didn't work with you directly, they definitely worked with somebody who was on your staff. I think that was uh, a good long 15-year run that you had there. And so I think that would be where most people might have uh, interacted with you. What they might not know is you've got a big long list of awards, lists that you've appeared on. You've been quoted on SiriusXM, Voice of America, Time, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Men's Health, interestingly, um, CIO Magazine, and a bunch of business journals, Tribune, Media Business, New York Post. I mean, the list goes on and on. Glassdoor's 2015 HR and Recruiting Thought Leaders. And my personal favorite, from 2018, you were listed by Vsource and the only recruitment gurus you need to follow list. Wow. who I, I didn't even know that was a thing, but apparently it is. And it's a pretty exclusive list. So, Todd, you're a pretty kind of low-key guy. How did all that happen? You actually have quite a list of accomplishments. So I'm pretty sure when you graduated from Ohio Wesleyan with a BA in politics and government, you didn't really see all of this unfolding, did you? I spent a few years in uh, Washington, D.C. in the political world and then came out uh, on a job in California on a political campaign. And most part, ended up doing this by happenstance or serendipity or whatever you want to call it. I spent seven or eight years at a publication called Workforce, workforce workforce.com, which is a generalist HR publication, which we ultimately sold to a larger company called Crane. But uh, long story short, yeah, I kind of happened upon it um, through some, uh, partly through some contacts that I'd made in in the previous world, the National Restaurant Association, which was like the political job I was doing. So I think a lot of people got into this world of human resources and employment and everything related as unplanned and kind of happened to me too. Okay. So not ever really having spent any time as a recruiter either, right? right. Okay. So really just the media side of recruitment and hiring and a little bit of HR, but I mean, pretty early on, it kind of converged upon a, a focus and talent acquisition. So super interesting. And now you have moved from ERE over to Eightfold. That happened, I think, last fall. That's really a, a different kind of a bold step to go over to a, a technology vendor. How did that happen? Yeah, I've been to ERE for about um, 15, 15-ish years in Eightfold. I thought it was a really interesting company. It's a AI platform that's working on the whole life cycle of the employee from career side all the way through the end, you know, success, internal mobility, succession planning, and doing some interesting things that not a lot of other companies in the field were doing. Um, so what's the scope of your role at Eightfold? What, what are you responsible for there? I'm doing a variety of things. I've been working on getting the word out about what Eightfold does and is doing. A lot of people are either not aware of the company or aware of only like part of what Eightfold does. And then during this pandemic slash recession, um, I did spend a lot of time on something called that uh, Eightfold uh, that we built called the Eightfold Talent Exchange, which is a way to help out people who were laid off, particularly in some of the hard hit industries like restaurant, car rental, hospitality, hotel, airline, that kind of thing. Well, that's very noble. So it wasn't just to help recruiters. It was to help all kinds of different, or maybe not even recruiters, just focus on hard hit uh, kinds of roles. 
Yeah, I mean, the two go hand in hand, but you know, essentially we were, we've been trying to match uh, through AI people who have skills uh, and who have been laid off with companies hiring. This was a little different than what's happened before. There's a lot of, obviously, there's been thousands of job boards over the years, but this isn't really a job board. It's more of an AI matching. So say you worked in the restaurant industry and you, you've been doing it for 20 years and you're thinking to myself, all I know is, is food. Really not a whole lot I can do at this point. Um, ultimately, if you really spend time with the restaurant manager, employee, or whoever it might be, ultimately, what, what do they know? They know payroll, budgeting, inventory, morale, hiring, uh, supply chains. They know a lot more than food. You know, the way they think of it is food, but it's more. And so how can you apply those skills to another industry? And so that's, that was the idea is to match these open jobs with people who have skills, but have capabilities to do another job and maybe hadn't thought about how those redeployed. Very cool. And I remember hearing that it was being developed, so it's now been deployed for a little while. Any early results that you guys can point to? Yeah, I mean, it started with, um, actually started with um, a partner of backing from McKinsey and food jobs and restaurant jobs and some of those kind of big time hard hit industries ultimately expanded into other industries. Now there's 800,000 plus jobs, 400,000 laid off workers, um, 3,000 matches. Um, and all these colleges came and are coming to us too. Time when even a college graduate, even some of the top universities in the world are having graduates who are out of work or are taking jobs that maybe, frankly, they wouldn't have taken otherwise. So it really expanded beyond the food, restaurant, hotel, car rental thing that it began with and is now in every industry, really. So what other impacts? have you seen from coronavirus, either in your current role or maybe as you as, you know, a kind of a expert observer of the whole media industry, you know, what do you think the impact has really been? Anyone who's in the recruiting, hiring kind of world has hit them really hard. 70, 80% of some companies recruiting and hiring business seems to have vanished almost overnight, along with a lot of those recruiting and hiring type jobs, search firms, like the major search firms and, and smaller boutique Companies that are in that business have been hit so hard. It seems like people who are doing more of the human resources, managing people, dealing with the effects of people's lives who are still on staff are in some ways maybe more valuable because they're handling so much of the mental health issues, all of the things that companies are dealing with. Right. Um, yeah. And uh, figuring out how to get work done in this time. Similarly, the companies that are in the recruitment events live world have been hit very hard. They were charging you know, $10,000 or whatever for a booth, and they can't easily do that now online. They were charging $1,000, $1,500 for a ticket to a recruiting conference, and they can't easily do that online now with every other company's charging a couple hundred bucks. So um, they've been hit very hard as well. Yeah. So what's your prediction, if you can venture a guess, you know, will we take a page out of this book in the future and say, you know what, that whole traveling to be at a conference, to stand at a booth, to talk to a person, ah, we're just not going to do that anymore. It's too expensive, too time consuming. Or are, is the pendulum going to swing back and everybody is so tired of doing everything virtually that they're like, no, I need to go meet with people in person? Well, both. I mean, I think virtual has an advantage, has its advantages. You know, I've listened to a watch a lot of the online conferences this year, at least parts of them. And, you know, there are some advantages, I think, um, of the online event that you maybe think of or didn't have in person. But in person, a lot of times, you either walk by a vendor's booth and you don't want to have them look at you, make eye contact, because they'll start 
bothering you. Um, or if you do want to talk to them, you, you have kind of a weird thing. It's loud, all kinds of people around. How much are you going to talk to them? You just feel a little weird. You're like in this big public arena and trying to have a conversation and someone yeah. else is putting out t-shirts. It's, sometimes it's conducive to, to meeting people, but it's also can be overwhelming for people. So, you know, online, it, it does have its advantages. You can do a demo in a small group. You can talk to customers or potential customers. You can have more of a kind of a small group hands-on experience, I think, online at a virtual event. Also, you know, having worked with maybe a thousand speakers over over the years and seen a heck of a lot of post-conference surveys, speaker ratings and whatnot. A lot of times, frankly, if you look at those surveys, you know, people rate speakers higher, sometimes based on certain entertainment value. Totally. Sometimes as much style as, as substance. Um, not always, but on average. And I think that just having viewed a lot of these conferences online now the last few months, I think that gets I don't know, leveled out a little bit and that not that you don't want to be entertained at all on Zoom or anything like that, but but I think some of the people who maybe wouldn't have rated as well in person seem to be really great over video. And so it does have advantages for the speaker and for the attendee who maybe isn't as I don't know, reliant on a comedy show or whatever they're expecting from a speaker or person. Yeah, or somebody who has really good content, but maybe, you know, is a little bit introverted and, you know, it maybe doesn't show as well, but boy, they, they really bring it. So that there's always that uh, dichotomy as well. Let's talk about diversity. I think most people, in addition to coronavirus, they feel like we have turned a corner or at least hoping we have turned a corner as a society in recognizing that diversity issues do exist. We do need solutions. We can't sweep it under the carpet anymore. What's your perspective on that, especially from the talent acquisition community, the whole kind of media aspect of it? It's, I sense that people are finally recognizing they have to go far beyond just having diversity shown in their career site. Yeah, there's always been this gap between like what companies um, sort of thought is diversity or think is diversity or we're doing with diversity and what was the reality. Companies would have like an annual take your kid to work day. And like, you know, I do, I know a lot of, most people I know at this point in my life are like working mothers or fathers in their 40s, 50s, 30s. Like I've never heard a single one of them say that's what they like. None of them, not one has said, well, that's the answer to my problems, you know, is to be able to take my kid to work. You know, they want to be able to work and have a flexible schedule and be able to pick up their kids, make it to their recital or show or whatever they do, football game or something. And I think that most people, you know, I know people who are in their who are fathers who are doing the majority of the, the kid work, who are picking up the kids and making the lunches and all that stuff, who have largely opted out of the W2 workforce. Over the last few years, I've had so many work and child responsibilities who have had who have basically had to work as contractors or just find some non-traditional arrangement because it's been so inhospitable to, to work under the hours and commutes and everything that companies have been asking for, um, even for absolutely, absolutely fantastic, great, smart people. So I think it's just one example of where like, I think there's this gap between you know, the real life of companies kind of check, the, check off as a diversity box and what, what people need or want. The reality is I think that's been going on for a while. And now as you as you said very well, you know, companies are getting more, more serious about it. Even at Eightfold, we've seen a lot of, we've had uh, the backbone of the company is just helping everyone get a good, uh, the best career they can. That's the whole idea of the company is, is it doesn't matter where you went to school and doesn't matter where you worked before. It's what capabilities you have. And, and that's been 
something that some of our customers have for years been interested in, but not all of them. And now it's like suddenly all of them. Uh, we've been having these these open office hours where we have the customers who have been focused on diversity talk to the other customers and suddenly like everyone's interested in it. And that's, I think, not just an able thing, really. It's like all over the profession. Suddenly it's like the talk of the town. What can we actually do to improve our diversity at our companies? Yeah. So it's like a co-opetition. Is that how I should picture the open office hours? Like people who at the end of the day are actually competing for diverse talent. They're giving each other their ideas. Yeah. I mean, in the case of Aidful, not all of the um, you know customers are in the same industry even. So uh, in many cases, they're not really competitors. And I think that's true with other organizations like um, Career Crossroads, probably familiar with. They have um, online Zoom calls to brainstorm diversity, and they're not all uh, in the same industry either. Todd, let's talk about your perspective on how talent acquisition media has evolved. And you know, I have to say, I I feel overwhelmed. And I actually, as a consultant, you know, you might argue I have more time to invest in seeing what's out there, seeing who the thought leaders are, reading stuff, sorting through kind of the thought leadership, things that get written. Uh, but I'm overwhelmed. I can't possibly consume it all. <laughs> and so I've, you know, I've got to wonder where it's all headed, especially because everything now is online. So you got your online webinars, your online conferences, your the, the normal blogs. What's the answer? What do you think? What's going to happen with, with TA Media? I mean, to be honest, I feel kind of like you do sometimes. I mean, I get up every morning at five something approximately and I'm doing what you're doing. I'm like trying to because I, I really want to always know what's being talked about in media, social media. So I'm kind of doing what you're doing. I'm going through all kinds of information. It's hard to keep up with what's new and what these organizations are doing now. Just to digress really briefly with an, an example of what I'm trying to get at here, I was asked a year or two ago to be on a couple of panels at this event called the American Society of Business Publication Editors. That's a mouthful, ASBPE wow. in uh, New York City. I thought, oh, I don't know if I want to go. I mean, it's kind of a cool location, New York University Law School overlooking this pretty park. And so I kind of want to make the trip, but I don't know. Last time I went to this, I was involved in this organization. It was like 10 years ago. And oh my God, they're so behind the times and dated. And I'm going to spend two days hearing about like, what a table of contents is or something. And like, I had this idea in my head that this organization was kind of what I experienced last time I went to something with it. And I ended up going and it was like, I was totally wrong. I was on these panels, but I, the rest of the conference was totally interesting and cutting edge. And I was just totally wrong. And I think my idea in my head was based on what I had last experienced. And, and we had experienced this a bit at ERE where like you'd had a few people who were like, oh, I don't know if I want to go to ERE again. It's for, it's for these kind of people. It's for people earlier in their careers or it's for yeah. people who... Are interested in something that's not being done anymore or something and then i'd say well when did you last go to the conference say, oh like five years ago and say well why don't you go and tell me what you think and then people would go and be like oh yeah i was totally wrong so you know, i think if you can if people can contact like at least on the start starting here with the conference part of things if you could uh, maybe contact conference organizers or something and say you know hey you know you at ere or atap or career crossroads or town board hey what do you trying to do with your event or what's the whole point of it or what kind of speakers are you looking for or you know what do you kind of attendee do you think would benefit from this are they kind of like someone who wants to get an overview of managing people or are they someone who wants to get like maybe things that are coming down the pike but aren't even been done yet if you can get that idea maybe from the conference organizers some organizers or some of the speakers 
that that might be really useful and help you make your decision instead of just like, oh, this is what happened last time I was there. Kind of playing off of the conference topic. So frequency, uh, you know, it used to be two ERE conferences a year, you know, recruitment automation happening once or twice a year. Obviously, Sherm has got their big one every year. Kind of going now that it's online to a lot more frequency. I, I, it seems to me, recruitment auto- automation conference, which is one of my favorites, super meaty, you know, good stuff that they have there. It looks like they're going monthly. I, I keep getting notifications that I can join the July version, the August version. Do you think that we're going to speed up before we slow down? I don't know that it's fully speeding up. We At ERE, we were saying for years now, last several years, we've said we've always joked that you now could attend a recruiting conference every single day of the year, but perhaps Christmas and New Year's. And, and I even think on, maybe it wasn't on Christmas, but right before after Christmas, I remember going to a conference in Long Beach. But they're really just in terms of the in-person, even before this, hiring, recruiting, HR conferences, almost every day of the year, somewhere in the world, there was uh, an event. And as you know, there were often three at one time in different parts of the world of these events about recruiting and, and HR. And certainly that's not going to go on forever. Probably did get a little little oversaturated at, after a certain point. And I think that's now moved to the online world. But you know, this profession, this field is is so hot. And for so long, it wasn't where it is now. It was like less just hadn't progressed to this point. So it's caught up. Uh, If you think back, maybe, I don't know, 20 years or something, think about like recruiting and branding, marketing, the military, the army, the Navy. That was one of the few organizations at one point in decades gone by that was actually average that you would actually turn on the TV or see a billboard or something and see, oh, they're, they're advertising that why someone should work here, why someone should join the army or Navy. They have a whole ad marketing campaign around that. But Mostly no other organizations were doing that. Now, mostly every organization, large organization, has tried to figure out why someone should work there and then has advertised that. And so um, with that, um, everything has changed in this profession. And there's been such a huge influx of interest and hours and and money into it, startups and everything else, that everything has, uh, has changed. Let's face it. I mean, learning has gone. The world is flat. You can go online and get trained get good content, learn stuff, get certified. You actually don't need to meet in person anymore. So what, what do you think is going to happen to that revenue model in the era of you know, always on learning and free learning? Yeah, as I mentioned, I think it's been real tough and it's going to be real tough for conference organizers who can now not charge what they used to be able to charge uh, for an event. Uh, but for companies who are sending, um, let's say, some recruiters, HR managers, maybe HR professionals who perhaps were new at the job, wanted to learn what to do, or maybe uh, early on in the careers, whatever. And they have a choice between sending them to a conference where they can spend their time going to downtown Disney or going to uh, you know the Vegas Strip or being distracted by all of these things happening. Uh, maybe it's, I don't know, kind of tempting to say, hey, I'd rather send my team to this online event where they'll have a good time, they'll meet some people, they'll meet some contacts, will be valuable in the future, but they'll spend most of their time doing this online learning thing. I mean, maybe that's not such a bad thing. I'm not suggesting that people will never go back and have a good time again. But again, I'm suggesting that there are some advantages of spending your money on online learning that maybe you didn't, that were you're wary of. You know, hey, is this really like a junket? All these people who are going to go spend, you know, spend two and a half days, their live bands and the free sushi and everything else. 
Or yeah. is it more junky than learning? So it, dep- you know, it depends on the event. So we've seen an evolution along with the evolution of social media. And uh, most organizations now really have to pay attention to all the formats of social media, including Twitter and Instagram. I, I wonder about TikTok. There's a lot in the news today about who's going to own that in the future. But, you know, basically, will recruitment uh, marketing organizations have to continue to evolve? Are there are there any coming up that you see that you think are really going to own the space of employment branding? Yeah, I mean, I imagine that recruiting will be always going to where human beings are. I mean, wherever there's a human, there's a job seeker and or a potential job seeker, right? Passive job seeker. I don't I don't think that would ever change based on whatever the platform of the day is. It doesn't change the basic fact. Why should someone work there? Why should someone stay there? Why should someone not quit? Why should someone tell their friend to work there? And that's, I think, what's got to evolve more than the media. The media, you can always find a new place to advertise. You can always find some some agency or technology that can help you find the best places to advertise. But ultimately, the hardest thing, I think, is to figure out why. What's the point? What can we articulate about why you should work here? Not just all of the, you know, the vagueness, like place to grow and stuff like that are things that multiple companies can say. So I think ultimately, it's not the platform, but the uh, the message. And as we talked about before, the message has to really be current and stay with the times. The challenge here is to figure out what it is that's current that your employees and potential employees actually need to do a great job to be successful and work in life as humans and as employees and finding that and then advertising that the platform is secondary. Yeah. All right. One final prediction I'd like you to make for me. The uh, combo employment branding job boards, the LinkedIn's, the Indeed, Glassdoor, you know, they, they have both sides. Where do you think that's going? What's your prediction? For the most part, I think they've resulted in a bit of frustration over the years where job seekers can't find the job that they want. You know, they sometimes can, but ultimately it's like you search for one thing, you set up a little job alert, you get some email every day or every week, and you just you end up over time deleting those alerts, those emails, because they don't quite fit into what you want to do and what you're capable of doing. They left people scratching their heads. I think, uh, exactly how do I search for a job? Um, I remember one time I was looking at a, a car website's career search, and the way they start their jobs are just by like department. Like I'm supposed to cho- choose like corporate or new vehicles or something. Like, I don't know. I have no idea how to start this job search. You got to tell me. You tell me what, if you can figure out what I've done, which companies and career sites, job sites, they now can, if they can, if they can have figure out what I know, what I can do, they can match me with their jobs and not have me have to figure out what in the world I could do at some company with a hundred thousand people and 5,000 jobs open. So I think the future is a better way of figuring out how I fit there, especially maybe in a department or a job, a role position that I haven't done before. That really is where where things could get interesting. And the key to that is AI, you think? Yeah, not, technology enough, not just AI, but having enough data, I think also, because you could you could just kind of say, oh, well, this is AI, but I think you really probably need a lot, a lot of data to figure out what it is. Like if I just put on my resume, I was a teacher. If you knew that middle school teachers at Thomas Jefferson 
School of Technology in Virginia have certain skills and capabilities. I, all I put on my resume was I was a middle school teacher at Thomas Jefferson Middle School. I wasn't, by the way, in Virginia. Just that mere fact of where I worked and when I worked and the job I did, the AI, if it has enough data, can know, oh, Todd is good at teaching. Todd is good at communicating ideas. Todd is good at communicating technology or something just based on that school and that time and that place. So it's really a combination, I think, of AI and then a lot of data to have seen enough people come and go from this job and that job. If I was a product manager at Facebook, if I was a programmer at Caterpillar, if I was a designer at Amazon, if you knew just my title and my company, if you had a lot of data and then a lot of advanced AI, you could see, oh, just by that time, location, and job, I know pretty much what he's done and what he can do next. That's really what is needed to help fit people into future jobs. I, I gave that example, but we've seen middle school teachers have been shown to make good product trainers at some companies. We've shown that bartenders have been shown to be effective at some banks uh, because you know banks you know used to be you go in you go to the bank teller hey you kind of take out fifteen dollars now it's like you walk into a bank and they've got to have a whole conversation with you about you know your needs and your goals and would you like to buy a home what kind of home so they have to kind of engage with you and make a rapport with you which is what a bartender does so we've seen those kind of correlations so yeah it's not so much that um, someone needs to say, I was a bartender and here's how I interacted with people and I'm good with people because I was a bartender and we talked about what drinks to make. And that's not really it. It's it's where you worked and when you worked. Wow. So the correlation on the basis of things we know, data, uh, what people have done and how that could transfer. I mean, really, it has been uh, people have done that for centuries you know, just making the correlations in their heads on the basis of some pretty subjective information that they may have had from their life experience. But what you're talking about is much more empirical data that, you know, has some basis, objective bases. And I guess maybe coming full circle to our conversation about diversity earlier, it seems to me a good thing if we get away from the conventional wisdom or the assumptions that I might make on the basis of my life experience and get more to a place where we have actual data that informs our decision-making and that that can kind of change the way that we act and choose people and develop people? And am I, is it a bridge too far for me to make that uh, assumption that we could actually get there on the basis of, of technology? No question. I'm reminded of that. There was a famous study, which I'm sure you read about, everyone here has probably read about, um, that Google did several years ago where it suddenly discovered that the people that it was hiring, its employees were not performing based on where they went to school or college, or even if they went to school or where they worked before, that it's top, the top employees and previous places of employment and previous schools did not correlate. And they had to start moving away from that concept of where did you go to school and where did you work before and like your pedigree. That really was a famous study that got a lot of attention in this field. When you think about that and you kind of fast forward and you go, well, what what does that do? And it does a lot of, I think, for diversity. It says that ultimately Google's got a lot of a lot of data and a lot of information. If they found that, it really goes to show that it's not about that, you know, these legacy universities and legacy programs where people companies hired from are not necessarily always the best way to find someone, particularly if they're in a so-called underrepresented group. 
Mm-hmm. It's what do they have the capability to do? What's their potential? Mm-hmm. Figure out that uh, capability, potential. I think that goes a lot farther than saying, oh, here's where they did not go to school simply because they didn't have, you know, most of the time, if you don't go to somewhere for school, maybe you couldn't get in. A lot of time you don't go to somewhere for school because it's too expensive. That's the reason it's not about your capabilities. You didn't go somewhere to college because it's too expensive. Right. Or that your, you know, family background give you any exposure to how to make all that happen. Right. Yeah. And so you see, you know, examples of resiliency, uh, people who push through, people who figure it out. But unfortunately, that is too small a, a, a group, I think, to be able to solve the bigger problem. Wow, this is such good stuff, Todd. Thank you so much for not only your opinions, but the, you know, kind of informed data-based perspective that you bring to this whole discussion. Is there anything else you want to make sure my listeners know about kind of the way you see us evolving in talent acquisition, in media, in AI for for selection and and um, finding great jobs. It's hard to see the forest for the trees because there's been such carnage the last few months in this field. To put it dramatically, with you know some companies eliminating so many jobs and so many jobs related to recruiting and hiring. But uh, when you look at the whole world of recruiting and human resources and things we talked about, avoiding layoffs promoting people more based on their capabilities, not who they know, things like that. I think there's tremendous promise and potential. And I think there's only, you know, some companies are, you know, really progressive on the cutting edge of some of this stuff, but there's a whole lot more that could be done by so many other companies. And so I think the future, um, as much as it seems difficult now, the future is actually going to be really bright for the whole life cycle of an employee and those who manage it. Well, that's an optimistic place to let to end on. So thank you for that. I always appreciate optimism, no matter what form it comes in. Um, well, good luck to you in your new role. We'll look uh, forward to seeing how that all develops. And Todd Raphael, thanks very, very much for your time today. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Big Fish in the Talent Pool. This podcast is independently produced in collaboration with ERE.net, and we would love to hear your feedback. You can email Aaron directly at E-P-E-T-E-R-S-O-N at people-results.com. You can also follow Aaron on Twitter at Aaron McPeterson, connect with her on LinkedIn, and learn more about her practice at people-results.com.